strength in the dark moon. Mother writes, The numbers come to make their play. Hearn leaps through flame and makes the players pay. The green man leads his fee to earn. Pay him well and you will learn. Tis paper money only burns. Tis time to make the numbers turn. The desire for money as a goal leads to an endless wave of discontent, as there's never enough. And yet people think they need more and more to be strong, to be safe. For you, it is time to take control of your finances and understand the numbers, instead of ignoring them and hoping they'll sort themselves out. Taking time to simply list outgoings and incomings and see the need for a balance will help you recognise that some of your spending has been to feed your emotions, whilst others need to be evaluated. Money's a form of power, and it's time to harness it so it can work for you, not you for it. It's time to get practical and create a monthly spreadsheet of your costs and to rein in the energy of your finances to be able to control it. I know this is not what you expected, but magic has very practical roots. You must do this because if you do not, any money you start to generate will flow straight out again. By knowing your income and outgoings, you create a money bowl, one in which riches will flow and you'll be able to control the power of money. If you need help, seek it. This rite of passage is not an option, for with it you gather strength, and you start to truly understand that everything around you, including money, is a form of power. Control it, or it will control you. I know, I've been there. To harness the power of money, work at the time of the dark moon. The dark moon gives no light, no clue. You can stare into the darkness and the only thing you will see reflected there is yourself. The darkness causes some to go mad, as can the desire for money. Some fall into the dark light and cannot accept what they find there. You will be different because of this journey. You will confront your relationship with money with the rite of passage. It's only in confronting the darkness you will find the strength to make the journey all the way to the source. I started on this journey, I believed I had no strength and that money was hard to get. I had a poverty mind. I tried to keep hold of everything and this was reflected in the world I experienced around me. I was resentful of others who had more money and who seemed happier because of it. So when I had money, instead of nurturing it, allowing it to grow, sharing it, I let it drain through my fingers because that is what I believed would happen.
I misunderstood and so misused the power of money which I had, and I allowed it to become a barrier between myself and other people. Any money I had left over was drained away by those around me. This was the life I had chosen to live. There was never enough money. It was a constant theme in my head. What I wasn't prepared to do, nor did I understand the necessity for, was to take control to work out my balance. Incoming and outgoing. The dark moon fell for me one night in Deptford, in my early twenties. I had just travelled back from a visit to my parents in Yorkshire, to the flat I shared with my boyfriend and another couple. I arrived late in the evening, hungry and cold. It was pouring with rain, and placing my key in the lock, I found that it didn't fit. I looked. There was a new lock on the door, and the lights were off. I had no idea what had happened. So I walked away, back to the tube station. I sat on a bench and I waited, watched train after train go by until the last train came and went. It must be some sort of mistake. So I went back to the flat, but nothing had changed. I spent that night walking. I walked away from Deptford and down to Greenwich. I climbed into the park and my footsteps found the Greenwich Meridian. I walked along it up to the observatory. It had stopped raining and the sky was now clear. I continued to walk away until I found a bench to sit on. I've never forgotten how cold that night was. Beautiful and cruel and cold. I slept under a clear and empty sky with the dome of the observatory before me, framed in the darkest of moons. My mind emptied as I slept fitfully, crying silently. I was afraid, afraid of the dark, afraid of what the morning would bring, afraid of the situation I found myself in. The noises in the park ebbed and flowed as dogs barked and other shapes took possession of benches close by. No one bothered me. Each form was shrouded in its own darkness. I watched the morning come with a bleak and watery sun, and with it the park keepers. Knocker-uppers for the down-and-outs. I tried to leave my bench before they reached me, but my body was stiff and cold, and I couldn't stand up properly. A pathetic sob escaped from me, and suddenly I found a hot, dry hand in mine. It belonged to the shape from the next bench along, transformed now into a frail child woman, more elf than human. I smiled at the thought and tried to pull away, but the owner of the hand seemed surprisingly strong. I'm Jennifer, the voice said in a broad Scottish accent. Fancy a wee brew. Jennifer picked up my bag and gave me no choice but to hobble after her. 
All the shapes of that night, now taking human form, were heading in the same direction, out of the park and across the road to the back door of a church. It smelled of cabbage and old paper, but it was warm. Smiling women were handing out mugs of tea and Jennifer was the first in the queue. Come on, if you're quick, you get the donut. I'll get you one. Hands full, she kicked two plastic chairs away from a heap and sat down smiling broadly. I sat, gratefully taking the tea from her hands. I declined the donut. You have it. She shrugged and rested it daintily on her knee. I watched her eat and drink. She couldn't have been more than 15, probably less. She ate as unselfconsciously as a young child, but her eyes were ancient. See me, she spoke jerkily. I'm looking for my brother. He came down from Inverness for work and I'm going to live with him. She looked up hungrily. I'm sure I'll find him today. You got any money? I shook my head. She brushed the remnants of the donut from her jeans and stood suddenly staring behind me. I turned to look and saw a tall, skinny man leaning in the doorway. Your brother? Jennifer grinned, showing the gaps in her teeth. Oh, hen, my boyfriend. She leaned over and kissed the top of my head before walking to the doorway, silently palming the flat packet which her boyfriend had passed to her. He kept his eyes on me the whole time. I'd seen him before, in the stable of the flats where I lived. It's strange now, looking back on that time, it's all so clear in my mind. I walked home to find my landlady there. I stood on the doorstep to hear how she hadn't been paid the rent for three months and that was it. I'd given it to my boyfriend, but he obviously hadn't given it to her. So there I was, no rent, no home. I tried to tell her I'd given the rent to my boyfriend to give to her, but she closed the door. No home, no money, no possessions, no boyfriend. I could have cried, I could have screamed, but I knew I wasn't going to spend another night out there on those streets. It was time to take control. And by the end of the day, I had a home and a job. And I was surrounded by men. Wonderful, wonderful men. I traced my steps back to my old home, through the market traders setting up their stalls, and passed them onto the main road. I took stock and began walking. The sign called to me. The sign in question was a tatty paper on the door of a club in Deptford High Street. Live in barman required, it said. I pulled the sign off the door, walked in, and told the owners that they wanted me. This was going to be my new home. The fact that it was a gay bar and the owners wanted a cute male to attract the customers did not register on my consciousness. I needed them and I made sure that they pretty soon needed me. I worked and I worked and I loved my new family and I made myself a promise then. I never handed my money, my power to anyone else ever again, male or female. I took control of my money. 
I didn't yet know how to use its power or to make it grow, but I had taken the first step alone. I did go looking for Jennifer. The truth is, I wasn't sure what I was going to do if I did find her. All I knew is that I wanted to reach out and protect her, somehow. I went to the church, and the woman there told me she'd stop coming soon after. One hinted she'd gone on the game, that the so-called boyfriend picked off young girls from the church before. I had no way of knowing. What I did learn that night, and it never is something I have forgotten, is how close we each are to the bottom of that pile. And it taught me to stop being judgmental when I see people who are homeless. It taught me to see the people and not the circumstances. You see, the trouble with modern life is it contains within it so much noise, so many distractions, too many things to do and see and to want to possess. All of these distractions pull you away from the source. Through these distractions, I grew weak in the world and thought that by throwing myself into even more of them, I'd find happiness or peace or whatever I thought I needed that day. It was all too easy. But to stand still and look inside and to confront the darkness within me, no thanks. That would have meant taking a tour of my own emotional history and having to take responsibility for causing pain, or at best, failing to relieve the pain of others. I knew I'd been selfish. Not selfish in a positive, proactive way, but selfish in a grabbing and mean way. I craved it like an addict. I wanted possessions and adulation and attention. That's not to say I got it. That somewhere in a dark and unacknowledged corner of me was a mean spirit. And that mean spirit was me. And until I confronted her fully and came to terms with her actions, I could not move forward. She would be the dog at my heels, like that of the fool in the tarot. She would pull me back. It took a crisis for me, a crossroads reached, to make the decision to accept my dark side and to come to terms with her needs before I was prepared to call on Mother. I feared growing older and odder and ever more lonely as the person inside me and the one who existed in the world grew ever further apart. I became hard in my relationships with others, and if they displayed the slightest sign of weakness or vulnerability, I would find a way to use it, or at least to store that knowledge for possible future use. I was learning from a master, and I had no idea of the damage I was doing to myself and to others at this time. When you yourself are brittle and damaged, There will be those that seek you out, find you, and use you for themselves. In this instance, I was empty after the breakdown of my marriage, and as nature abhors a vacuum, 
So I was found by a magician, a manipulator of hearts and minds. He saw a gap in me which he could fill. I understand now that this was not about me. I wasn't special to him. But part of his manipulation was to make me feel special. He used many people and discarded the husk when he had no further use for them or when they grew beyond his reach. I prefer to believe that he was not a bad man. He was playing out his own story with little care or understanding of the impact he had on others. And you know, there are many people out there like that. These are the people who will feed your emotions just enough for you to want to stay around them. You become like the starving man, grateful for the smallest crumb of comfort. I no longer fear this man, but I did. For a very long time, the sound of his voice was enough to cause me physical pain, as if my chest was being crushed, and I lacked the oxygen to cry out. Do you know, fear is an incredibly powerful emotion, and I feared his power over me, and I had absolutely no idea how to free myself. What I didn't understand is that I had handed my power over to him and that I had a choice. The revelation came to me when I reached such a low point. I felt there was no escape apart from leaving this life. And yes, I do mean what you're thinking. I'd never felt that way before and it genuinely terrified me. I loved life or at least I had, until I fell under his influence. But at this time I no longer recognised myself or my actions. I had become one of those people that until then I had hated. Mean. Selfish. And hard. My heart was full of ice and there was no one coming through the wardrobe to rescue me. This was the time when I called on Mother. I remembered how she'd rescued me before, and now more than ever, Mother's words of magic, freedom and life resonated with me. They resonated so strongly that I was prepared to surrender everything I had worked for until that time. I was prepared to undergo death but a death from which I could return as a new person. The mean spirit within me had to be addressed. It was time to take responsibility for my actions to release myself from the spell of those who would use my skills for their benefit alone and to become strong. Mother's words were clear. On the night of the dark moon, when no light reflects on her, I was to communicate with the power of the crone. The crone is the aged soul, older than time, older than thought. 
She is the personification of the wise woman, the witch of literature and mythology. She knows everything. She is the part of you from which nothing is hidden, nothing can be excused, everything exposed, all is laid out to the darkness. And I was afraid. I wanted to set up all my excuses and all my reasons for doing the things the way I had. When you expose yourself to the dark moon, to the crone, she does not give you the chance. When you expose your mean spirit to the crone, she gives you one choice. And this is the choice to change. No more excuses. Just the chance to leave your mean spirit there with her. When you make that choice, then the tasks on your journey become more real, more obvious to you. For me, it was to forgive the man I had blamed for the worst of my own actions and to give back to those who had experienced my mean spirit. I knew that the only way to do this honestly and without feeding the darkness was to give back without them knowing. That way, there could be no way of them seeking me out to thank me and of feeding my ego. This way was much harder, because all the while the voice of my mean spirit wanted payback and wanted praise. But this was the only way I could move forward without that baggage. And so I took myself into trance. I lay on the bed in the light of the dark moon and went looking for the mean spirit within me. I found her hiding under the bed in my grandparents' house. She was small and afraid and didn't want to come out from under the bed. I was shocked. I thought she'd be big and tough and frightening, but she wasn't. She was only a child with childlike needs to be loved and cared for. I climbed under the bed with her, among the dust bunnies and the books that she'd taken there to protect her and to help her to escape. She wore boy's clothes and her hair was cut short and very curly. Her eyes stared into mine angrily. And so I waited. And when she was ready to listen, I talked to her and told her that we were going on a journey. She knew already and said she wasn't going, no thank you, she wasn't going to die, so that was it. That's what she thought it meant. To go on the journey was to lose herself. And so I lay there beside her and explained that we were going on the journey together and that her part of the journey was to go somewhere where she could be cared for by someone much older, someone who understood her needs and would look after her. 
We slid out from under the bed and I helped her to her feet. She'd brought her books with her and held them defensively to her chest. We travelled to meet the crone. Under a dark moon, in a rocky landscape, we came upon her cave. She met us at the entrance, and the child eagerly pulled on my hand as she dragged me towards the cave. The crone was cloaked and hooded. I could not see her face, but I could feel her eyes on me. There were answers in those eyes, but I was not ready to ask. I did not yet know the question. The child pulled away from me, and the crone's cloak opened to her, and for a moment I caught a glimpse of many faces, small and silent, and then the cloak was closed to me. The crone did not speak to me, but walked back up the rocky slope. I was enveloped within the darkness of the cave, and I was left alone, with the discarded books at my feet. Strength for the journey begins with the decision to change, truly change. From this decision comes emotional power to drive you forward, even when you don't want to go forward. When you just want to fall back into the old path because it's easier and you know your way. Strength comes from the understanding that past is past. And you can only change the future by recognizing the gifts which you have in the present. Strength will come more easily as you make these changes and magic starts to happen around you. True strength will come when you develop the flexibility and ability to embrace all changes and see them as challenges, a test of your worth to embrace the source, to grow truly strong. You need to recognize the need for support to make initial changes, someone to go to for guidance, someone to give you encouragement and someone who will lead the way and let you lean on them when you need to. This is a person who does not exist yet in the outer reality, but is within you and comes out of the source. They will lead you on your inner path to the source, but they will also guide you to books and people, to places and experiences which you would not have considered as useful or helpful to you in your journey. This person is your guide. Your guide will teach you to say yes to new ideas and you will meet them in trance. You may have met them before, in your sleep, in your dreams. They may take the form of someone you know, love and respect. 
For some, they take the form of old wise beings, ancestors or animal spirits. To others, they appear as angels. For each one of us, these guides are our connection with the source while you make the journey. And you will learn to accept their existence in your life and to respect their wisdom. For some people, their experience of the guide is of a presence behind them, a feeling of warmth. You will experience the feeling of someone who is stronger and wiser and above all is full of unconditional love for you. You will experience this presence as you open yourself to the source. Your guide is there for you and all their guidance is for your benefit alone. And yes, there will be times when your guide gives you advice and you don't really want to listen. You'll learn to trust that voice and go with it. It will always be your choice whether you listen or not. And sometimes, as I said, you will not feel like listening. But your guide will tell you the right thing to do, not the easy thing, the thing which we'd often rather do instead. So now, if you want, I'll show you, teach you how to meet your guide. You can do this just before you fall asleep, or you may find even as you listen to me, your guide will come to you. So, you sit down or lie down, you close your eyes, and your mind is preparing for the inner journey of sleep. And you can enter trance by counting down from 300 to zero, using your out breath to time the numbers. And when you reach zero, you can find yourself at the top of stone steps, solid rock worn by the footsteps of others who came this way before. You may even imagine yourself walking there now. Remember, it's your choice. And whether you do it now or in your sleep and in your dreams, when you walk down these steps without any burden to carry, you notice how easy it is. Notice your surroundings and that the steps are clearly lit. You can feel safe here. And you can keep walking until you reach the end of the steps and find yourself back in a beautiful, peaceful, natural landscape one you've already been to before. Feel the peace of this place surrounding you. As you look around and become aware of the landscape. You may notice flowered meadows and fields of golden corn swaying gently in the breeze. 
You can imagine rolling hills in the distance with snow-peaked mountains surrounding them. And in your mind you begin to head towards the hills, making your way through the mountains up to the highest peak. And as you walk, you're surprised to find that you travel so much more easily than you could have imagined. You notice you don't feel the cold, even when you walk up the hills and into the mountains. On your journey, you rest whenever you want to and notice how your view changes as you climb higher. And on reaching the peak, you can look back and become aware of the place where you rested. Sit now and rest now. Here on the peak of the mountain, looking down at the landscape of your mind. And if you are ready, you can now ask your guide to come to you. Use your inner voice to tell them that you're ready for them to be part of your life. And now wait. They will come. They may come to you now. Or in your sleep and in your dreams. You'll be aware of them behind you. Aware of a warm, loving feeling radiating towards you. And when this happens, you may decide to turn and look to see them, but there is no need. It is up to you, though. Your very presence there lets your guide know you're ready to make them part of your life. So whether you do this now, or in your sleep, or in your dreams, spend some time in the presence of your guide and thank them for coming to you. And you'll leave your guide in the mountains, retracing your steps back down the valley and stopping whenever you need. A return to the stairs. And as you walk up them, you are still aware of the existence of your guide as a pinpoint of light up there in the distant mountain. And when you return to the top of the stairs, you open your eyes. And however you experience these moments, whenever you experience them, whether you experience them now or later on today or tonight when you sleep, when you dream. You're going to feel different in the morning when you wake. Stronger. And if you want, you can pick up your special book, your special pen and start to write write down feelings or thoughts about your experiences. Write down questions you'd like to ask your guide when you meet them again. You can take time over this. 
There may be more things that you have to write down than you would have expected. Don't censor yourself. The very act of writing will help you grow stronger. Just write whatever comes in to your mind. Mother writes. Strength, she is formless. In numbers, when tempered. For there, me, you may find. My shape against your background. Of gaps in your mind. Your guide, ever truthful. Even you try to hide. And if you're serious about this, if you really want to make that step, give away one thing which is precious to you. Something you know that the recipient will really value. One thing you'd much rather have for yourself. This may be your time given to a task you'd rather not do. Tickets to an event you'd love to attend. Spending time with an elderly relative. Or giving a present to someone you'll never meet. The only thing of importance is that it has to be something that you value. Or it has no worth for the journey. And give it secretly if you possibly can. So there's no way of your desire for gratitude coming back to you and feeding your mean spirit. I do hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Petrified Voices, The Source, a manual of everyday magic, as read by the author. Have a wonderful day. Times when we are feeling